Hello and welcome back to Comics Over Time, where we shine a spotlight on classic comic stories and the TV shows or big screen blockbusters they inspired. We'll look to connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures, examining where the adaptation followed the comics closely and where they decided to go their own way. And when we're done, we'll try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? My name is Dwayne, and with me, as always, my good buddy Dan. Dan, we have a movie this week. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this was quite the thing. Um, We've been winding into uh, the middle of Phase 3 right now, getting near the end. And so this week, we are looking at what is undoubtedly the biggest comic book movie event of all time, as we rewatch the star-studded extravaganza that is called Infinity War. So... Yes, this is this is going to be a lot of fun, but there is a lot to get to. This is the at this point, and I think maybe even still the longest MCU movie uh, in existence. I would two, think so. At, at two hours and and uh, twenty nine minutes, so we've got a lot to cover. Let's quick jump in and let's talk some comic book news. Wanted to remind everyone that Captain America number one Marvel debut preview for J. Michael Straczynski's reboot is coming out this week, September 20th. So we talked about this a couple months ago. The Babylon 5 creator coming back to Marvel for his first ongoing series in 14 years. Uh, it's going to look at uh, current... Uh, Steve Rogers, as well as a young Steve Rogers, and a lot of stuff going on. Uh, he had this quote in the article from comicbook.com that I'm going to link to in the show notes. It says, overall, the goal is to do some really challenging stories, some really fun stories, and get inside Steve's head to see who he really is in ways that may not have been fully explored before. If folks liked what I did with Peter in The Amazing Spider-Man or Thor in, well, Thor, then you should give this a shot because I'm really swinging for the bleachers with this one. Dan, what do you think? Right. I'll be fun. I've always liked Straczynski's stories. He's got a ton of great stuff he's done both on independent titles and then within the Marvel Universe. So, yeah, it's a, and it's been a while because he's had health problems and other things going on. He's always been a busy fellow. He does, you know, been out in Hollywood doing a lot of other things. It's always good when he gets back to write comics. And it is nice to have him back considering I think it's been almost seven, eight years ago that I first heard he was retiring from comics because of health problems and the like. So hopefully he's feeling better and it's good to have him back. Yeah, yeah. There is... There is a cover art as well as a few preview pages in the article. The art looks very, very good as well. I'm very excited to see this. I, I am very much going to be looking forward to uh, to this series once it, once it becomes available. Looking over at Marvel Unlimited this week, we have only one new number one, and it is Spider-Man India number one that's being released on Marvel Unlimited this week. There are, But there are 19 books in total that are going to be available, lots of them the number four issue uh, of, a, of the series. And so if you're, if you're, if you're curious, of those, we're going to see Clobberin Time, X-23, Deadly Regenesis, Cosmic Ghost Rider, Rogue and Gambit, The 
excellent Doctor Strange, Spider-Gwen, Shadow Clones, and Venom Lethal Protector 2. All those issues number fours are going to be available on Marvel Unlimited this week. So you can jump in a little bit into the series or not too far in. You can jump back and, and start from the beginning if, if it ends up being something you're interested in. Very cool. Very cool indeed. Yeah, so a lot of, a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah, big big week for releases. Dan, what do you have here for a recommendation? So as uh, as kind of noted, turning the tables a little bit here, um, one of the things I've been hearing from a couple places, talking to people, and then um, kind of from some folks who listen to podcasts as well, is when talking about comic shops and comic ordering and the like, and I was wondering from listeners, what, what are the best places you know of to pre-order or reserve comics? You know, how do you do it? Um, are you using just local store orders, online subscriptions through some of the larger order vendors? Uh, are you actually just going into the store and seeing what you find and taking your chances that things will happen to be there? What, uh, what, is, the, what is the way to get comics? Because just this last month uh, or within the last two months, Image split off from the previous catalog as well it is getting nearly impossible to figure out how to buy new comics and i'm starting to just get interested to find out what are people doing uh if you are a comic fan and you're pre-ordering or trying to keep up on things send us a note let us know how you're doing it well, that sounds good we'll definitely tell you how you can get in touch with us at the end of the show all right, Dan, that with the news out of the way, we've got a big movie to talk about. So before we do that, of course, we're going to give you a spoiler warning. Yes, this movie is from 2018, so you've had some time to go out and watch it. But we're going to talk about it in a lot of detail upcoming. If you haven't seen it recently, would definitely recommend you doing it. And then coming back to us and joining us as we talk about the Avengers Infinity War. All right, your film facts for Avengers Infinity War. The tagline for the film is an entire universe once and for all. This movie was released April 27th, 2018. It has a runtime of 149 minutes. As we talked about, that is the longest MCU movie to this point, uh, beating Civil War by two minutes, roughly. Box office worldwide take was over two billion with a B, two mid, two billion forty eight million dollars, and domestically it took in six hundred and seventy eight, almost six hundred and seventy nine million dollars. All of this on a budget that is estimated to be between three hundred and twenty five million and four hundred million. It's a little nebulous because they they filmed both. Infinity War and Endgame kind of back-to-back, -back, and there was some intermixing of, of that in there. So there's various reports on saying what the budget is. The IMDb rating for this film, 8.4 out of 10. That is the highest rating. It's actually tied with Endgame as the highest-rated MCU movie on IMDb. 
This movie stars, and now I'm going to give you some of the names, but we're not going to get to all of them. Robert Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, Chris Evans, Scarlett Johansson, Don Cheadle, Benedict Cumberbatch, Tom Holland, Chadwick Boseman, Zoe Saldana, Paul Bettany, Elizabeth Olsen, Anthony Mackie, and of course, Josh Brolin. The movie was directed by Anthony and Joe Russo. You might remember them. They directed Winter Soldier as well as Civil War. The screenplay was Christopher Mackis and Stephen McFeely, who you might remember wrote Captain America, The First Avenger, and Civil War as well. Those are your film facts for Avengers Infinity War. Dan. You have the unenviable task of giving us a bit of a recap of this film to bring to remind people if they haven't seen it recently what this film had in it. I I had I had not remembered that it was two billion total. That it it not just was a billion dollar picture, but actually crossed doubled that essentially. Yeah. Wow. And you know the crazy thing is, it is two and a half hours long. Which traditionally, there are a lot of people who, even if they're interested in seeing a movie, they don't want to sit for two and a half hours in a theater at one time. So usually, right. movies that are that long lose viewers. And theaters have problems because when a movie is that long, it's hard to schedule as many shows. So right. you have to think of how many theaters this played in, how many screens... And for how long to get to that area. And it must have just absolutely dominated like an entire like summer and, and maybe three, it, four months of uh, it, of the theaters. To, to your point, uh, it was actually in theaters until mid-September uh, to give you. F- so it, and it came out April 27th, but was in theaters until September 13th. It was in 4,474 theaters uh, and at its widest release. And so it had it, it, it was it was available in theaters for for 249 days. So there was it was literally an entire summer that that it was pretty, pretty, pretty dominant for for a vast majority of it. All righty, then. That makes sense. So, yeah, astonishing dominance. So, so let's talk about what everybody was going to see, right? And this is, by the way, a very truncated. Uh, as I was telling telling Dwayne, I had probably twice as much, and I'm like, this is just crazy. So, here's the recap. Uh, it's uh, keep in mind, it's a two and a half hour movie. So, Infinity War actually starts with Thanos aboard the Asgardian refugee ship that we'd seen at the end of Thor Ragnarok. And he actually ends up killing Loki, taking the space stone out of the Tesseract by just crushing it and putting it into his gauntlet, and then leaving Thor and the rest of his people there to die as sort of the ship explodes while they leave. During this battle, Hulk is beaten up and is then transported to Heimdall, or transported by Heimdall to Earth, just as Heimdall is being uh, essentially killed by Thanos. Uh, He lands in the middle of Sanctum Sanctorum, and warns everyone, essentially sends the warning that Thanos is coming. At that point, Doctor Strange, Wong, Iron Man, and Spider-Man 
have to fight off the Ebony Maw and Obsidian, two of Thanos' henchmen people. Uh, Strange is captured and taken into space, and Tony and Peter end up hitching a ride along on the ship, initially undetected. The Guardians then show up and rescue Thor, after which Thor, Groot, and Rocket head off to reignite a star and forge a new superweapon for Thor. Star-Lord and the rest of the Guardians head off to nowhere, where they hope to stop Thanos from getting the Reality Stone from the Collector. Sadly, Mad Titan is already there, already has the stone, and Gamora is relatively easily captured by Thanos, who actually stayed there essentially setting a trap for her, because she is trying to keep a secret from him, and he knows it, and he knows that it has to do with the stones. Thanos then uses the torture of Nebula to coerce Gamora to tell him that secret, which is the location of the Soul Stone, and the two of them voyage out there together. Thanos then sacrifices Gamora and gains access to that stone by giving up something he loves. Gamora is unconvinced about this whole uh, Thanos really knows how to love anyone thing, by the way. Right. Uh, he then heads off to Titan, where the Guardians and Iron Man's crew, who have rescued Strange and sort of freeze-murdered the Edmund Maw, have devised a plan to help stop him and take the gauntlet away. Quill screws things up, though, by getting emotional, and Strange ends up having to give Thanos the time zone to stop him from killing Iron Man. Wanda and the Vision were attacked back on Earth by some of Thanos' other hench people, and only survived due to the timely intervention of Cap, Falcon, and the Black Widow. That group then heads back to Avengers HQ, where they add Rhodey as War Machine into their group, and proceed to Wakanda, where a massive fight is brewing. Shuri works to remove the Mind Stone from Vision, where they hope to be able to destroy the stone without killing Vision. And while that's happening, Thanos' forces start an all-out attack on Wakanda. Things take a turn for the worse, and it looks like Wakanda's in a lot of trouble. But Thor, with his new hammer, that even has the power of the Rainbow Bridge, appears at the last minute. Uh, hammer is called Stormbreaker, and he uses it to sort of rally Earth's forces and push back the invaders. Wanda then realizes she has to destroy the stone, and even though Shuri had not had time to detach it, she does so. Ends up killing Vision, and therefore stopping Thanos from getting that last stone he needs. Or... She would have stopped him if he didn't now have a time stone. And he turns the vision back, sort of the same way that Doctor Strange had turned back the apple in the movie a while ago. Uh, yeah. Once he's got him back, he picks him up, rips out the jewel, and is about to complete his pan of destruction when Thor actually whacks his hammer directly into our villain's chest. Now, sadly, as Thanos notes, he should have gone for the head because Thanos is still conscious enough, even as he's dying with a hammer in his chest, to complete his snap. He snaps his fingers, half the universe's population turns to dust, including many of our heroes, and Thanos then sort of disappears back into a portal to a quiet life in a hut, looking out over this verdant plain. And in the after scene, Nick Fury is shown activating a pager, just as he and Maria Hill dissipate. Pretty, pretty uh, yeah. succinct and, and, and solid recap of a two and a half hour movie with a lot going on. That doesn't have any of the romance, that doesn't have any no. of the comedy, that doesn't have any of the snappy patter or uh, a lot of the maudlin sort of, you know, people hugging each other. That's just yeah. plot points pretty much. Yeah. So, 
But it is amazing how many things go on in this movie and how it nonetheless still all seems to make sense, even with all these characters. Yeah, yeah. That That's where we have to start here. This is, to me, the ensemble to end all ensemble movies. This is... I would call it an orchestral ensemble. This is literally a symphony orchestra worth of people that they've managed to cram into a two and a half hour movie. And as I mentioned, when I read off the stars, you can easily list another one to two dozen actors and actresses who, who, who starred in this film, who would have top two, top three, top four billing in any of the individual MCU film. But because they are in this film with them all together, the IMDb page has 18 people that show up on the on the like the preview of the cast. And Josh Brolin isn't even in that top 18. That's how (laughs) that's how crazy this is. Okay. Yet the thing that amazed me about this film as I'm watching it is it's so balanced like you would expect with them having so many people in there that they were trying to give screen time to that you would expect that that somebody would get shortchanged and uh, yes there's probably characters in this movie that that maybe needed or deserved some more time but it just felt like they did a really good job of kind of balancing the character and their role in the larger story with their screen time. And so it you have these longtime Avengers like Iron Man, Cap, Black Widow, all them. And then you have these newcomers to the MCU, Doctor Strange, Black Panther, Spider-Man, who, who this is their first Avengers film. And they all worked really well together to create just this absolutely epic adventure Mm -hmm. and 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 like the other thing is and and the filmmakers had a word for that or a phrase for this they called it strange alchemy this this first interaction of characters and what that would be like and and they talked about tony stark and dr strange and how they sort of had that same kind of tony stark and and captain steve rogers kind of introduction and kind of immediately started butting heads in the Sanctum Santorum, it, it it was it was amazing to me. I just thought, I'm watching this film. I'm seeing all these characters, and yet, it I love that I'm seeing all these characters, and they're making this great adventure, epic story. But I feel like they all make sense being in there. Yep, absolutely, absolutely, and and there are some characters that do seem to you know again would like to have seen more Black Widow. I think that Scarlett Johansson's criminally underused in these. I'd love to have seen a character do more. But, of course, as one of the characters that doesn't have powers, her and Hawkeye seem to a lot of times end up being a little bit left behind. There's only so much they can do with Thanos-level threats when it comes down to it. So, um, and then, yeah, the it, it's also weird when they talk about the strange alchemy that, you know, if, if you'd have had, like, Stephen Strange and Tony Stark at a party probably like five, six years ago, you would have had a party because those guys <laughs> would have, yes. they, they were both absolutely the worst, but they would have been entertaining, I suspect. So the, uh, you know, they've, they've very much had their, their arcs over the last few years, but, uh, 
But yeah, I, I think that it really was. Everybody kind of had time. It wandered back and forth between. It did a nice handoff bef- between the various um, locations and, and things happening. It was interesting that you're talking about things happening all over the galaxy and there's these portals just popping people back and forth within seconds and the like. The Marvel Universe is a very small place when it comes down. Yeah. It's true space opera. There is no time delay. You know, it doesn't matter how far you are away. You'll be there the next scene so you can do whatever you need to do. Yeah, I mean, for the final scene, you had Thanos on Titan fighting all all those people that are there. He gets the time stone and then immediately basically just poofs and he's he's in Wakanda so that he can, you know, take the, the final stone from Vision. Mm-hmm. So we only had two characters that I think you may have expected to see in the film that weren't in the film. Scott Lang, who plays Ant-Man, and Clint Barton, who plays Hawkeye. But they were both mentioned uh, during a scene where they talked about uh, those two. I think it was actually Black Widow, Natasha, that says that they're currently under house arrest and didn't want to do anything to 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 jeopardize yeah. to jeopardize that. And now I'm assuming that's from Civil War, right? That the you know what yep, they absolutely. what they did in Civil War and and all that sort of stuff. So well, and that's next week when we start up with Ant Man, or I guess a couple of weeks. That's where Scott Lang is sort of still finishing off his time. Don't know if you remember like the ant that he puts his uh, his security monitor on so that that's right. The ant's that's playing right. the drums while he's out doing his thing. Yep, so yeah, yep. he's he's currently, yeah, kind of stuck. So so one last thing about this this huge ensemble cast is that there was a New York Times interview and they talked to co-writer Stephen McFeely about it, saying, "How do you write a write a a a movie script, a screenplay with such a large cast?" And he said, "Not every scene can have twenty five people in a room. You're going to have to make kickball teams and then have a tournament." So that that was kind of their thinking behind it. That's why we had teams. Mm-hmm. They, they, there was a there was a, a comment that said, you know, we had War Machine and we had Tony Stark, but they never actually interacted all during this movie because they're in two completely different locations for the entire film. And and you know, you have all these, you have all these, uh, you know, you don't see Captain America until forty minutes into the film. And, and like, you know, you had, it was, there was so much going on. You just, you had to give and take some of that stuff. And some of that stuff was going to happen just so that they could accommodate all these characters and, and be able to tell this story. Now that said, I thought what was interesting is I was reading over some notes about the characters and, and there was some, the writers and directors had some real specific ideas on how they wanted these characters to be in this film. And they, they talked about character growth or character change uh, from their previous versions or the previous times we've seen them in, in the MCU. And, and I thought it was really interesting because they, t- uh, you know, Joe Russo talked about Tony Stark is senses. There's this greater threat approaching, you know, obviously Thanos yep. is really scary. He got a, a vision of it way back way back when when back in the very first avengers film when he ends up in space with the with the shatari and all that sort of thing so he's doing everything in his power to keep earth safe 
and he and and uh, Robert Downey Jr. specifically said, you know, the I the 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 goals of Tony Stark in this film are a lot simplified compared to where he's you know the goals of Tony Stark in some of the other Iron Man films yep. and some of the other 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 films that that Tony Stark has appeared in. Uh, they talked about uh, Thor and that he really has kind of a hero's arc in this film that's actually kind of the opposite of of Thanos and and is really kind of the main protagonist in the film because you know he's the first one that has to face Thanos he has his brother killed he you know he's left for dead he's floating in space he ends up being picked up by the guardians and then you know spends a great deal of time going to Nedvalir to get a new a new axe or a new powerful weapon created stormbreaker and then comes in and essentially attempts and almost kills Thanos right before he can do the big snap at the end and uh, uh, if only he'd have gone for the head as as you mentioned and as as Thanos mentioned it was it was really interesting so the, there's those two they talked about the hulk the Hulk is really interesting throughout all this because you have Bruce Banner is basically Bruce Banner this entire movie for the most part, except for the very opening scene where where he's on the on the refugee ship. He you know he gets transported the, to the Sanctum Santorum by by Heimdall, and then basically isn't Hulk the rest of the movie. He keeps trying to pull the Hulk out. And and the Hulk will not come. And, you know, there's conjecture of whether or not the Hulk was scared of Thanos because they went toe to toe right away at the beginning of the film and Thanos beat him. And Thanos only had one stone at that time. He had the power stone when we first see him in this film. But the mm -hmm. Joe Russo is talking about Banner only wants the Hulk for fighting. And he says, I think that the Hulk is sick of having to save Banner and be his fighting machine. And, and because of what happened in Ragnarok and what we saw happening throughout that movie, there is a conflict, a, a, a kind of struggle for control that, that we're supposed to see throughout this film. And, and I think it's very well conveyed throughout all this. What, what did you think of some of the characters and how we saw them in this film versus how we may have seen them leading up to this film. It's interesting because for the most part, it seems like the Russo brothers respected the characters that in, in the way they were created by the previous directors and, and stories, you know, Captain America still feels very much like Captain America. The guardians have kind of that sort of quirky element to them. And even when Thor is, is brought into their orbit, even as terrible as things are for him, you know, I mean, you can't get much worse than where he's at. His brother's been killed. All his people have been killed. He's just coming off Ragnarok. And yeah. and yet they still give him a little bit of almost a, you know, some humorous dialogue and the like while he's there. Um, I think most of the other Avengers back on Earth, Doctor Strange, everybody feels really right. But then they they find a way to kind of like that strange alchemy you're talking about, which is an interesting phrase. They bounce off each other and you start to see some differences in the characters too, because of 
you know, interacting with people they hadn't before. I think really for me, the, the Thor Groot rocket team was my favorite part of the movie. I really enjoyed that whole interaction. Uh, I love that Groot was just this snotty teenager who just wanted to sit there and, and play on his handheld video game and, and ignore uh-huh. everybody. And Rocket was kind of, he, he liked the fact that, that Thor kind of looked at him as the leader and he wanted to go and play with all the toys. And Thor just, we kind of have this return to Thor, the mighty Thor in this too. Yeah. After Ragnarok being a little bit jokier and the like, this one he still has a little bit of that, but he's also a guy who absorbs the entire like power of a sun and you know pulls these massive levers and then returns down to Wakanda and basically just evaporates the army yeah. that everybody else is having trouble with, you know. He is the man in this movie. Kind of kind of like Dave Batista says, you know. And so if there's one thing that's really different, it's that they did ramp Thor back up in a way, where I think it is weird looking at Thor three, then what goes on in these movies with this Thor, and then you go to Thor four. Yeah, so love, love and thunder. Different. Yeah. Well th- it, it's interesting. Chris Hemsworth actually asked the Russo brothers and and uh, Marcus and McFeely to kind of work with Taika Waititi to bring some of that comedic element from Ragnarok into the character for here. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I the, the thing that I think works really well is they they did the they got the amount right. You know, like right. you say, there's a little bit of it, but then there's also still the jaw dropping just power that Thor can can be and you i you see him holding open the iris so that the that the dying star can can heat the metal and i first immediately thought of steve rogers you know doing doing the thing with the helicopter from back yep. in uh back in back yep. in one of the early uh captain america films but the but it, still it was one of those callbacks but at the same time it was different and and it just showed you what Thor is capable of doing and then he shows up in Wakanda and immediately just starts starts uh you know just ripping through the um the army that Thanos has sent here to try and get the final the final stone. Yep. It's a, it's interesting one last comment is uh Marcus and McFeely talked about Doctor Strange and Doctor Strange is really kind of the the straight man in this he they called him the reasonable adult in the room and he has this wide perspective because he has been actually since the the first Doctor Strange film he's been studying he's been learning about this and you know you see him on Titan going and looking at all the possible outcomes of this fight with Thanos and they win one out of 14 and a half billion or million million encounters that he witnessed. And it's, it's really interesting. I really liked the way they kind of made strange as being cause, cause it seems like it would fit his character, right? Cause, cause he is very, you know, he's a man of, of, of science originally and medicine mm-hmm. before, before, going into the mystic arts 
And so, you know, he's very analytically thinking and, and is thinking big picture. And I, and I just love the way that that ended up playing out in this film. Yeah. Yeah. They did a nice job with that. And, you know, Wong, even in a, in a relatively cameo thing also was, was nice, but it is, it is true that in kind of all that craziness and it's weird because he's about as far out of characters you can get, but Dr. Strange becomes kind of like the guy who's just got to figure out what all the possibilities are figure out the path and then be sort of that grown up who makes sure that he makes the tough choice. So. Right. I want to talk about the, the story kind of itself, because I, I feel like this is just, when I think of what an Avengers film could be and should be, this definitely nails it. This is, we, we pick up, like right after kind of the at the tail end of where Thor Ragnarok ended. And, and that's the other thing is like, I remember seeing these films, but seeing them so far apart and not really remembering one movie to the next. And so mm -hmm. some of these like linchpins from from one movie to the next, did, I I didn't realize that was the shame ship and that it was, you know, we're, we're talking like very soon after Asgard explodes we're seeing what happens here in this film and it's it's interesting that the filmmakers talk about the film as being basically just a smash and grab heist movie told yep. from the viewpoint of the lead villain Thanos but if you boil it down into just one statement about the film that's exactly what this is and it is but it is just the epicness or the the size and scale at which they they have this smash and grab heist film is just absolutely absolutely crazy to me we see nowhere we see vormir for the first time we see nedvalir we see titan we you know we're going to earth and going to wakanda and new york and all these sorts of things and as you said there's portals taking us everywhere and things are happening we're going to edinburgh scotland for where vision and 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 the scarlet witch are and it's we're going to all these places we're seeing all these characters but yet it all makes sense and it and it and it and it just you're kind of almost holding your breath throughout this film as to what's coming next even even seeing it once before you know seeing it before i'm sitting here watching it and it's like oh my god we're just we're going everywhere and we're seeing all this these things happen and like it's I know it's not going to end necessarily because there's another movie, but at the same time, it's like there is so much that's being done to set up this like huge story. And, and I was just amazed at like how they were able to do that. Yep. Yeah. It's absolutely just crazy. And it's one of those things too, where the amount of trust that, the studio and the distributors and the theaters had to have in Marvel at this point for them to be able to get by with doing this is substantial, you know, and I'm, I'm sure part of it had to do with the fact that you had the Harry Potter films, which were essentially continued from one to another and the like, you had a lot of these things, but really, you know, and, and Lord of the Rings obviously were out there. So you'd had some of these, 
but a lot of those were still part one and part twos. This was literally a, we're going to blow up the world and then go away for a while and we'll come back later and tell you what happens. For, you know? for a year, basically. They went, they went about a year. And it's, mm -hmm. it's interesting because this movie came out about five days before the 10-year anniversary of the Iron, the first Iron Man movie, really. And so in the opening credits, if you if you watch the Marvel's Marvel Studios logo, it changes the IO at the end of studios to 10 to, to kind of commemorate that. And, and it's like mm -hmm. they they had this big blockbuster that they were just coming off of in Black Panther, and then they roll into this. And then there was there was so there was talk when they initially released uh when they were going to initially release Infinity War, it was going to be called Infinity War Part 1, and then they were going to call Endgame Infinity War Part 2. But Kevin Feige didn't like the idea of doing that because he said that, you know, these are, this Infinity War in and of itself is a standalone film. You can watch this film start to finish and see something happening, and you don't necessarily have to go on and watch after this mm -hmm. so they they ended up changing it to drop the the part one and part two and then ultimately it was the russo brothers that decided to do the full split and change change the name the names and, and of infinity, infinity war part War two and, to, endgame. And, and endgame so to to really ensure to people that no this really this this is a standalone film. Infinity War is, and you don't a really have depressing to go one. on. Yeah, a really depressing very, one, but a very European film where uh, yeah. you get up and, yes. and want to go and kill yourself at the end of it. Yes, so. but yes, but so I thought that was I thought that was I, ultimately I think that was a really great decision on their part because like now I know it's getting to be a lot more common that you have these part one, part twos, and all these continuations, but. Just to me, like I was surprised when the movie ended and not just because of I, I didn't realize that it was going to be a part one and part two necessarily because the name didn't have that there. But like we had a villain win and like you have mm -hmm. had this is like at this point there would have been something like 13, 14 pictures mcu pictures at this point and we've never had a villain win <laughs> win it's always been kind of the good guys end up winning it's not done and it's normally no, just not done it, it's not and and the other thing is like when you think about epic story and and that i think about main characters dying characters you would not expect to die in this film die in this film and i'm not even talking about the snap post snap characters dying i'm talking about heimdall i'm talking about loki i'm talking about gamora i'm talking about vision mm -hmm. all of these characters i would not have thought going into this film that those characters were going to die and and gamora's death specifically is incredibly sad even though she does not think there is any way possible that Thanos loves her enough that this would be something truly heartbreaking to him to lose. It, it is 
it is crazy to me. And and the other thing is like Gamora even says to Star Lord, if push comes to shove, basically kill me before Thanos takes me, because he can't know the secret that I have. And they get presented with that opportunity. Star Lord can't pull the trigger until the very last moment, and by that time he's got the rea. Thanos has the reality stone. He changes the bullets into bubbles, and then escapes with Gamora. And it's just so like we're we're basically told Gamora is probably going to die here, and yet still, when when the time actually comes, it is incredibly sad when they go to that slow motion. And she's being dragged towards the edge of the cliff by Thanos and then just sort of flung off. It is, it is, it is heartbreaking to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I think also heartbreaking for Gunn because I don't believe that was his plan for the character. No, probably not. He's made note of the fact that, uh, not all the decisions made in, in the infinity war and Endgame for the guardians characters were, really uh, where he would have wanted to go with them so yeah yeah there were some tough choices made but i mean it it obviously fit the story and uh it's hard hard to argue with that 2.1 billion dollars they must have done something right so the the scarlet witch vision thing at the end too is really difficult we're gonna we're gonna talk about that in more detail after a bit here but i just i we're going to talk about Gamora's death now. We'll talk about the Vision Scarlet thing, Scarlet Witch thing here in a bit. But yeah, that one was that one was rough too. Let's talk about Thanos. And specifically, I love the fact that this movie, I really appreciate the fact that the movie shows us how Thanos gets the stones rather than him just getting the stones off scene or off camera. Mm-hmm. And then the team needing to decide what to do about it, right? Because that's where Infinity Gauntlet that we read last week, basically Thanos just had the stones when the when the comic book series started, and and then the the you know everyone was trying to figure out what to do about it, right? But I thought like kind of the whole ramp up of of him getting each stone and and we get to see. Thanos become more and more powerful as he gets each stone, which I think was really interesting. And like in the opening scene, Thanos has armor on, right? And he's fighting the Hulk and he basically takes care of the Hulk without too much problem. So one-on-one Thanos is going to be a force to be reckoned with just on his own. And then he starts collecting infinity stones and he's not wearing armor after that, really. You know, he gets the second, he gets the space stone and, you know, he's basically walking around just like a guy with a gauntlet on for the rest of the film mm-hmm. and nobody's touching him. And you, by the time, you know, he goes and starts walking towards vision, watching what he's capable of doing because he has the power of all these infinity stones is just amazing. And, and it just, it, it does not. It, it it just resonated with me really well, just how much it it, it kind of it kind of showed this the, this character arc for for Thanos throughout all this film. Kevin Feige said this is 
this is he's the main character of this film and and to his point thanos actually has more screen time than any other character in this film to the point where he's got 29 minutes of film time roughly and the second most film time by a character in this film is actually gamora with with 19 and a half minutes so he is he he really this is his story it's also interesting that they've made some fundamental changes to his backstory that soften some things about him. And he's still obviously a homicidal maniac. Yes. But in the comics that we read last week, you saw that in when he was young, he was on Titan, which is one of Saturn's moons. So essentially, in the comics, he was born in our solar system. And he is essentially a son of, you know, one of the, essentially like the Eternals or an, an offshoot of them. And he ends up killing a bunch of his friends. He ends up killing his mom. He ends up essentially destroying his entire planet to try and essentially impress death. In the movie, it sounds like he's almost somebody who more was seeing that his planet was becoming overpopulated and having problems. He presents this lottery death solution and everybody says he's crazy. The planet actually does evidently decay due to environmental and collapse and overpopulation and the like. And he's like, aha, look at that. I was right. I was now right, I'm going to go yeah. out and help all of these other planets the way i should have helped my planet right uh-huh so it it gives him a much more credible backstory than the comics have which worries me to a little bit because the idea that somehow even seeing something like that happen makes what he's attempting reasonable you know the the other option would be to just make infinite resources in the galaxy so no one needs to die Maybe he could have thought of that. You know? Uh If he could change reality, he could just make it that people don't need to eat anymore. Or die. And then look at that. It would all be fine. But that's not what he, uh, that's not what he decided to do. Because he had murder on his mind. So, but they did change substantially. Uh, Titan is now a planet someplace else. It's been destroyed. Doesn't appear he destroyed it. It was, it came through other mechanisms. And I think that really does change who he is in a fundamental way. He's not an eternal anymore, probably, or at least we maybe see that he is later on when we see some of the other characters coming in. Because we've seen Star Fox, who's his brother. So we'll see if they tie that in or not. But anyway, yeah, he's oh. he is definitely the main character. Yeah. So Joe Russo said that he would often reference the Godfather for James Brolin at times, which Brolin said helped emotionalize the whole thing for him. So if you're a big fan of The Godfather, that that probably wouldn't surprise you. Josh Brolin also said that he characterized the role of Thanos on Marlon Brando's character Colonel Walter Kurtz in Apocalypse Now. So some movie influences to kind of help him uh, create the character of Thanos throughout all this. The other thing I wanted to mention, just because I didn't know who they were, is Thanos' henchmen. I I did not... You hear them being called the children of Thanos, 
in the movie. In the comics, they're they're the Black Order, and we have the big the big guy with like um, with like the hammer looking thing is Call Obsidian, uh, the like the steward that's actually does a lot of the talking and was trying to get the the time stone from from Doctor Strange was Ebony Maw. I I did not recognize him. Uh the the woman that we see fighting fighting uh um Okoye and and the and uh Black Widow near Black the Widow? end of the film mm-hmm. is Proxima Midnight. And then we also had Corvus Glaive as well. And so those are those are kind of the big four characters, uh Thanos' henchmen that are sent out to go grab grab the Infinity Stones or locate and retrieve the Infinity Stones uh on his behalf. So just wanted to mention those because I had no idea who they were in the original film and only vaguely kind of knew of Ebony Maw. It, as I was going through and watching this again, but just in case you're one of someone like me and didn't know who those characters were, that that's that that's who those those were. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about the snap and that final that final uh, final act battle because this is to me I think one of the best final acts we've ha- we have in a superhero film. Just it is the good you have this good the 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 good side and the bad side. You you know, our heroes are in a unenviable position. They're trying to do so, you know, they're trying to save vision without a lot of time. They've got forces coming in on them. And but we've seen these sorts of battles before, and we've seen our heroes end up winning. And just watching as that battle unfolds, you can feel it sort of start to slip away from our heroes. And I started to get nervous while I was watching it, even though I knew the outcome. I'm just, I'm watching it and I'm just like, I am feeling emotionally invested in this. And and yes, there's VFX all over the place and there is... There, you're going through and looking at all these different places in Wakanda and all this sort of thing. The battlefield's littered with people, but I just loved just sort of how the tension wraps up. And then you have Scarlet Witch and Vision and that whole scene after Steve Rogers saves saves Vision and then Vision saves Steve Rogers and then Scarlet Witch mm-hmm. shows up and he's like, no, you've got to kill, you've got to kill the, you got to destroy the stone before Thanos gets here. And he, he's now here and he's walking towards Vision and, and you're seeing her hold him off and just trying to destroy the stone. And it's heartbreaking to watch because you're seeing her kill the, the man he, she loves and then you see her just sort of break down after after it happens. And then you're like, oh, wait. And then you see Thanos do the thing that he can do now because he's got the time stone. And he basically just rewinds time until Vision's not dead. And then just kills him. Rips the stone right out of his head. And then you have this, you're like, oh my God, things, it is over. This is terrible. 
This is going to happen. And then Thor pops in and drives Stormbreaker right into his chest. And you're like, maybe he did it. Maybe he stopped it just in that last bit of time. And then the snap. And just the follow-up of the snap is so brilliant. Watching these characters that you love and have come to see over a decade of films just sort of kind of fly off, just sort of evaporate in front of you. Dan, this is... This is such a great battle and such a great, and by great, I mean terrible, but great as in just very well executed and just hits you on an emotional and and actually a very intellectual level too, for me at least. Yeah, no, I, I think that that is absolutely correct. And it, it, I know for me, there was a couple of the characters who, like when Black Panther sort of just you know dissipated or spider-man you just didn't expect those sorts of things you know yeah and then when when you get done and you think about it and you're like oh everybody who wasn't there in phase one is gone so what they've done essentially is they've brought us back to the original avengers against thanos essentially against the original bad big bad that brought loki to earth in the first place and those guys now have to go out and save the rest of the world. So, but it was, watching it the first time, I think that as somebody who knew what Infinity War was about, I I can't say I was entirely surprised intellectually because I kind of knew what was going to happen right, or what he was right, going to try right. to do. But I also was surprised that it actually happened and who we lost and then also the fact that they decided to make it a cliffhanger because that's a that's a rough way to end a movie you know yeah so i i read this note uh about kind of those the post-snap death scenes and specifically about uh spider-man and his death scene there on titan apparently it was written that that tom holland spider-man was going to evaporate but there wasn't a lot of specifics on that and actually robert downey jr helped coach holland through that death scene and oh man that is gut-wrenching watching that death scene again because you had you had you have peter parker like walking towards his idol and he says i don't feel so good and he just sort of collapses in tony stark's arms as he's evaporating and i just i i got a tear i'm not going to lie i had a tear in my eye after seeing that and just to know that those two ten of together helped build that moment that ended up getting captured on 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 film was was just crazy to me can i admit something terrible about that particular scene The fact that Spider-Man took so long to dust compared to everybody else actually took me out of that. I'm like, really? All right, we got a we got a movie here, dude. Come on, it's time. We already know what's going on. Waiting for you to die here, yeah. Why is everybody else went in like one one and a half seconds? You're you're on like fifteen now. 
it's it's time. That is you know, that is true. I, I had not considered that, but yeah, I guess and I, I guess I know even, even I, Thanos' I snap it. has has a bit of you know let's 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 let this play out just a little bit. A little bit of dramatic tension to it, so it, yes. it's got a a bit of a sense of of uh, theater. So yeah, yeah, that that was one. I'm like, ha, huh. you know, if if there had been a way to get that where he wasn't extended out so much over everybody else, or we'd seen anybody else take longer, but almost all everybody else just sort of crumbled. And Peter's like, ah, oh, I think I ate something bad. And then <laughs> it's, yeah. it takes a long time. I don't want to go. So, I don't want to go. You know, I don't want you to go, was, Peter. It, I don't. It was ridiculously tragic. So yes, that was, that was not easy, but it, but it was strange. Yeah. Maybe that helped me that I was distracted. So let's so let's talk about the VFX real quick. I thought for the most part the VFX in this film were actually really really good. Um, Absolutely, it's, this, it's the same VFX studios that I think we've come to see in a lot of these films: Industrial Light and Magic, The Framestorm, Method Studios, Weta Digital, Digital Domain, Lola VX. All of them. There was a close to 3000 shots in this movie and almost 2900 of those have being visual effects shots so had some sort of visual effects tied to them doesn't surprise me i would say if i had to pick something that i did not like about the vfx it was bruce banner's head in the hulk buster suit looked absolutely ridiculous every time they showed Bruce Banner's head inside that suit at the end of the film in that final act, his head was so small. It just, it, it, it looked fake to me, like really fake to me. Like it looked terrible. Like it, it like took me out of the film. That's how bad it was. That, that, that was like one of the, if there was any negative about this film, Bruce Banner, Mark Ruffalo's head on the Hulkbuster body what was the thing that didn't work for me what did, what did you think of the vfx dan yeah i thought it was really good i liked uh, all of the i liked all of the scenes in space i think that the challenges for them must have been significant because you talked about how many locations there are and each of those locations has to be designed and has to be you know framed out and everything else now some of them maybe they could have used a lot of stuff from previous movies because Wakanda already the assets existed for VFX I'm sure same with nowhere same with a lot of things but they then basically had to destroy all of those things so other than that I think the only thing I didn't really like that was VFX related was I did not like the big rolly wheels of death that came out near uh, the end yeah they just seemed ridiculous to me and I don't know if you remember the old will smith wild wild west yes movie from a while ago I do. yes <laughs> they had a big giant wheel of death or something like this yes it, they did again i'm like that's so those are not those are not my favorites but outside of that i think that all the characters looked great the suits look great locations um i really if if i had my one thing uh, VFX wise, I don't think that Peter Dinklage's character looked particularly Etri. It looked like he was kind of inserted into a false environment in a way that didn't really look convincing. So 
but I mean that's one small thing. Overall, the scene yeah. of like re reigniting the star and making the hammer looked absolutely fantastic. So yeah, no complaints. Yeah, but by and large, I, I no real complaints. There was a lot they could have done. I mean, Josh Brolin's big, but he's not that big, and he looked good pretty much the entire film. And so they they had their work cut out for them there, which we'll talk about in the tidbit section. But before we do that, let's. I want to talk paging Captain Marvel, the post-credit scene. You mentioned a, uh, a a quick page was sent by Nick Fury before he evaporated. He and, and Maria Hill, who were who were back in what looked like New York, and I didn't know what that meant when I saw it initially because I didn't know who Captain Marvel was <laughs> yep. at that point. But uh, but that's obvious is obvious now because it, it is the yellow star red and blue background uh similar to the captain marvel suit and and then we have a movie coming up here uh at early 2019 uh the captain marvel movie is coming out so that that was interesting one one note was the russo brothers originally said the captain marvel was going to be in infinity war However, they later clarified that the character was not going to be in this film, but would instead make her debut in her own film, Captain Marvel, and then would play a much larger role in Endgame when that would come out. So, so they there, there was talk that Captain Marvel was going to be in this film and then didn't end up being in there and... I, I don't know that they needed another character in the movie, given, given all the people they already had in it. And so it, it, it made a lot of sense to me that that, that uh, Carol Danvers didn't quite make it into this film. Especially another character that you had to introduce and the like. Uh, there really were almost no new characters in this other than a couple of the bad guys. Pretty much right. that's one of the reasons probably why they were able to get so much story in. Because they didn't really introduce anybody in the like uh, as we've talked about a few times, uh, at this point in the Marvel Universe, they're like, look, we really hope you've been with us for the last 10 years. But if not, you may be a little lost. And that's on you, not us. Because well, we're going to do enough that you'll get some enjoyment out of the film. But there's some nuance here that you might not get because you, you've missed out on a few films. And I think you'd be more than nuance you would not get <laughs> on this one. If you I, haven't seen the other movies. Spe speaking as somebody who did not see some Thor and Captain America films before seeing some of these films, I could tell you that there was, yeah, there was, it was, it was a little bit more than, than maybe nuance, but it wasn't like these movies were not unenjoyable because I had, you could seen still them. enjoy them, but yes. there would be times you'd be a little bit lost as to exactly why someone was so choked up about one particular thing happening or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. That's going to be the main kind of topics. Let's, I'm going to jump in and let's talk a, a few tidbits about the film. Principal photography for this film actually began January 23rd, 2017, under the working title Mary Lou in Pinewood Atlanta Studios in Fayette County, Georgia. And as we talked about, this was filmed kind of back to back with Avengers Endgame. Two distinct films, part one, part two, and then it got renamed to two completely different fil films to ensure that, that people wouldn't uh, think 
well, they'd understand that it was two completely separate films. So there was an interesting note about the war chants that we saw during that final act. The uh, actors and actresses from Black Panther created the war chant. And as the film was not finished shooting, Black Panther wasn't. By the time they uh, are right about, there was like a, basically, according to Chadwick Boseman, there was about a two minute break or two week break, excuse me, two minutes. It probably felt like two minutes between the the filming of uh, production filming for Black Panther and then the start of Infinity War. And so they had made it up on the set and the filmmakers did not see that chanting from from Black Panther. And so when they brought it in to that final scene, they, they brought the, the actors and actresses brought it into that scene. And and ultimately they thought it was really cool. And I think it really actually helped. And I really liked liked the way that that whole scene played out. Thought it looked really cool. Uh, one other note, Josh Brolin. We talked about him. He actually had to wear a foam headpiece that was the size of Thanos's head with a camera on it, so for his face for visual effects. And then he would wear foam parts on on his body so that he others uh, actors and actresses wouldn't get too close to him because. He was going to be much, much bigger when mm. when the VFX were actually added. So that that must have been and, and Josh Brown actually did all of the, the motion capture stuff for Thanos across these films. So so that must have been fun going in and being like, oh, hey, we're going to work this scene today. So you're going to have to wear these like foam arms and you're going to have to wear, you know, this giant foam waist thing and. And then this headpiece, you know, good lord, because yeah, yep. Well, he's do that a lot now. Like I've seen for some of the Avatar films, you get some of the actors wandering around with these big extension things, and then there's a camera mm-hmm. like up where the where the actual W or whatever's head would be, so that people would know where to look when they're uh, when right. they're talking to them. So, so the uh, before before you go on to the to the next thing. The whole the whole uh, tagline Mary Lou, I I think I remember where that was from. Do you remember where that's from? I I do not. I believe that kind of showing how worried they were about not screwing up this legacy of a decade of success. I think that it's because they were wanting to stick the landing, and it's a reference oh, to Mary Lou Retton. Sure. That, that sure. essentially all of this has been yeah. leading up to to Endgame or to to this set of movies. And so they wanted to get it right, stick the landing. There that that's cool. That that makes makes perfect sense. That could also be just a, you know, urban myth, but but urban <laughs> legend. But that is that is what I've heard and it actually makes sense to me why that it, might be it does. What, what it was about. Alright, some quick references to the comics. So you know, we read one of the kind of comic runs that was inspiration for this film, Jim Starlin's 1991 Infinity Gauntlet comic. They also talked about the screenplay using Jonathan Hickman's 2013 Infinity comic as, mm-hmm. as inspiration for the film. 
Uh, we saw the Incredible Hulk crash into Doctor Strange's Sanctum Santorum. That sounds familiar. That's what the Silver Surfer did at the, in Infinity Gauntlet number one, warning him about the threat to Thanos. Of Thanos, uh, we got some new suits during during this. A new Iron Man suit was based on Bleeding Edge and later Model Prime armors from the comic books, which both used nanotechnology to create a suit that was linked to Stark and could also create weapons for him to use, such as a bigger gun, and could be stored away in in his arc reactor when not in use, and could call it out by just tapping on tapping on it uh the new spider-man suit the iron spider outfit from the comics uh just just like the movie counterpart that was created by tony stark in the comics i didn't understand captain uh captain america steve rogers's look but i found this note about him in this and so when Captain, one of the times that Captain America quit, Steve Rogers quit as Captain America, he uh, assumed the identity of Nomad. Nomad's costume in the film captures basic elements of that Nomad character, as it is primarily blue and features yellow disc-like objects attached to the collar. The second time Steve Rogers quit, it was featured in a uh, grown scraggly with a beard and would eventually shave the beard and create a new identity called the captain. The, uh, the physical appearance of Steve Rogers in this film is definitely kind of a, an amalgamation of those two characters. You know, because he's on the run and sort of yeah. being pursued by the American government, he doesn't, I think, find it appropriate probably to be wearing the flag. So because of sure. that, he is he is essentially permanently out of costume at this, yes. at this time. Uh, Thor's new weapon, Stormbreaker, is uh, in part based from the Marvel's Ultimate comics, uh, in which the Avengers, who are known as the Ultimates, mm -hmm. and a series version of Thor wielding a weapon just like Stormbreaker. And um, finally, one last thing, and I didn't notice this. I, I actually want to watch that last scene one last time. But in the bottom right corner of the field that Thanos is looking out at right before the movie ends, there is a brief moment where viewers can see a scarecrow made out of his armor, which is an homage to the comic books so i missed that but apparently there is a a scarecrow mm -hmm. uh thanos yeah. uh thing there so put all the way and stormbreaker by the way that is also not just from the ultimates but that's the hammer that beta ray bill gets in that's in right. the regular comics yes so, when when we first we read those back in the day actually that's the mm -hmm. Walt Simonson books and when Beta Ray Bill fights and defeats Thor uh, for possession of the hammer and Odin's like you know here maybe I've got another one laying around so you can Hot, give my boy back his prize yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah so that's a couple of different places but the name Stormbreaker does come from Beta Ray Bill and that hammer. All right. So, Dwayne, we have watched the movie. We've read some comic books about it. So, Infinity Gauntlet is definitely a different series 
than Infinity War. They tell kind of the same story of Thanos uh-huh. deciding it's time to get rid of half of the universe, getting together a gauntlet with the gems, and then snapping his finger. Which one of you of these do you think did it better? The the Jim Starlin, George Perez classic uh, from back in the day in comics, or the two billion dollar juggernaut that is Avengers: Infinity War? I, I I'm sorry, but it is the movie for me. Uh, it is it is ridiculous how good this film is. Uh, on on a third or fourth rewatch that I've had of this film, there is just so much story, so many characters. It is written for basically, I think anyone to can go in and watch this and have a good time. And no slight to to the original comic books. I think I think there was a an interesting story there that they came up with and and really kind of put some meat on the the Thanos bones but i i think i think they they took it and just built on it really really well in this film there you go so yeah it was it's interesting because you know infinity war of course actually the comics are not the same story so infinity gauntlet's the better one to one Infinity Gauntlet is a good story, but it's also a bit goofy at sometimes. I do find it interesting how different the Thanos is in the two of them. Because one sure. of them, you have a Thanos in Infinity Gauntlet who's truly evil, but also sort of wants to lose for some reason or another. So he keeps sabotaging himself. Whereas yeah. in Avengers Infinity War, you have a Thanos who is more just obsessed with his goal. He's like this this rabid eco-terrorist essentially and he's going to do his thing and he's not he's not going to be deterred and once he gets the glove it's like 10 seconds later he's you know he's completed his life's goal so they're very different but yeah avengers infinity war is tough to really argue against these are these are pretty spectacular and the uh, the comics probably sold a hundred thousand dollars worth or so so 2.1 something billion minus $100,000 worth of profit also votes for Infinity War. So, it's good stuff. All right. Uh, before we go, where are we headed here next? So, in between in the, the Infinity War and Endgame, there's actually two movies that we need yes. to take a look at. Um the way that Marvel was pumping them out at this point, they had multiple movies every year and they needed a little bit of time to get the second one ready. So they kept filling in movies. So what we're going to have is next week, we're going to start taking a look at Ant-Man and the Wasp. So we're going to be leading off this week with uh, a look at Black Goliath, number one through five from 1976. Uh, That actually is a look at a character who's going to be one of the main antagonists sort of in this. Um, so it's played by Lawrence Fishburne in the, the movie as Bill Foster. Second books we're going to look at is Marvel team up number 59 and number 60 from 1977. One of my favorite sets of comic books ever from Marvel. I love these two issues. It's just a simple story by Chris Claremont drawn by John Byrne. 
it's about uh, all the Marvel team-up books or Spider-Man books where he teams up with one character each month. It's Yellow Jacket in 59 and the Wasp in number 60. And it's actually a really, really good story. So this is one of the ones that was one of the first books um, I read from Marvel, actually, way back when I started collecting. And it was a, a pretty lucky start. And then just to take a look at where she's at now, uh, there's been a lot of Wasp stories out there. We're going to take a look at the new series from 2023, Wasp, number one through four. So. That sounds good. That seems like a good set of comics. Looking forward to reading those. And with that, that is going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. Whether you're new to the show or you've been with us from the beginning, we'd love to get your thoughts on Infinity War or if you've got a response to Dan's recommendation on how you get comics, you can send those to us via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com or you can reach out to us via Twitter or X at comicsovertime. We're also on Blue Sky at comicsovertime over there as well. Dan, Infinity War is such a fantastic film and was made even better by all the knowledge that I've learned over our time reading comics and rewatching the films. So this is this was a real treat this week, and I am very much looking forward to reading some comics and talking about uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp over the next yeah, two weeks. Should be, should be fun. Interesting film. And at least some of the comics I'm going to say reading next week are pretty spectacular. Some of the others may be pretty terrible. So I'm interested to see what you think about them. So. All right. Until next week. Take care, everybody. All right. See you later, folks.